from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. We're exposing the deep state and the shadow government for the full two hours. Paul L. Williams, co-author of The Killing of Uncle Sam, The Demise of the United States of America, is standing by. But first, some quick programming notes. There will be no live YouTube stream again. Uh, We're in summer mode, folks, but they will return sometime in September. Uh, However, the audio from this show will be posted on the YouTube channel in a few days, so be looking for that. And if you haven't already done so, please hit the uh, the red sub button on uh, the YouTube channel, The Conspiracy Show. As I say, we are in uh, summer mode, and that means uh, that my live YouTube uh, stream producer, Ryan, is off. Albert, my story producer, is off. However, Ian Robertson, my fine rockabilly friend, is behind the glass, twisting the knobs and the dials and the doodads. Incidentally, uh, his band, The Grease Marks, has a, a new album out. And please, uh, check it out, buy it, buy some for your friends, at, and please help send this young man to college. Uh, and it's available at greasemarks.com. Is that right, Ian? Greasemarks.com. That's it. All right. Uh, next week on the program, Carl Gallops, the pastor Carl Gallops, my good friend, he has a brand new book out. And by golly, I think I wrote the foreword. And uh, the book, incidentally, is called Gods of Ground Zero. So Carl will be here again for the full two hours. All right, let's dive into the deep state, shall we? Let me crib from the, uh, the inside the dust jacket here. Pride, greed, and power have driven men to do the unthinkable, including selling out their nations and unsuspected citizens to the most corrupt and destructive, invisible global leaders on Earth. But how did this happen on American soil? How did the downfall begin, and who were the predators that the land of the free and home of the brave fell victim to, and how is all hope, and is all hope lost? And as I say, the co-author, Dr. Paul L. Williams, is a journalist and the author of 15 books, including Among the Ruins, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Catholic Church, Crescent Moon Rising, the Islamic Transformation of America, the Unholy Alliance between the Vatican, the CIA, and the Mafia, and uh, which is being made into a, a movie series for AMC Network. Well done. And he is the winner of three first-place Keystone Press Awards and has written articles for major news outlets including USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, Newsmax, The Counter-Terrorist, and National Review. He holds a Ph.D. in philosophical theology from Drew University and has served as a consultant on organized crime and international terrorism for the FBI and an adjunct professor of theology, humanities, and philosophy. Dr. Williams, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Boy, now I sound important. That's it's great to be on your show. <laughs> I was going to say, we got to get you a job. You don't have enough to do. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that sounds like a great guy. <laughs> Are you literally <laughs> writing a book while we're doing this show? <laughs> I am writing a book while we're doing this show. That's the truth. <laughs> okay. All right, The Killing of Uncle Sam, The Demise of the United States of America. We've got two hours, but even that is not nearly enough to even scratch the surface. So I thought a good place to begin would be with Cecil Rhodes. And uh, when people talk about secret societies and they say, oh, they don't exist and it's all fantasy. I mean, we need to look no further than Professor Quigley, who wrote a book called Tragedy and Hope. He was a Georgetown professor, taught President Clinton, I believe, 
was thanked during uh, Clinton's inaugural address. He, he pointed out Professor Quigley. And Quigley has talked about the existence of this secret round table that was started by Cecil Rhodes. So let's start there. Who was Cecil Rhodes and what of this secret round table? Well, uh, Cecil John Rhodes was, a, uh, was an Englishman who was the son of a minister. He uh, had asthma, and uh, when he was about 17, he went to South Africa to work on the farm of his brother. And in South Africa, the farm failed, and he went up north to Kimberley in South Africa to the diamond fields. And in the, in the diamond fields around Kimberley, he made a fortune. And he returned to England, went to Oxford, and at Oxford, one night after he became a mason in 1877, he had a vision. He had a hell of an idea, and he said that this idea, this is what he said. He said, the idea came before me like a wisp of will, and and, and it was this grand idea of the entire world under one rule, and we could do this. this. This one rule could be established by a secret society, a secret society of British aristocrats and noblemen and bankers. And he had this idea in 1977, and then he went about and he formed the secret society. That's really the start of everything. The secret society, some of the members, you know, interestingly enough, were Nathan Rothschild, who, of course, had a banking empire throughout the world and ties to every, every bank you know, in, in existence. Another member was Reginald Britt, who was the closest advisor to Queen Victoria. Another member of Secret Society was Arthur Balfour, who became the Prime Minister of England. Another member of the Secret Society was uh, William Stead, England's foremost journalist, Another member of the Secret Society was Arthur Primrose, uh, the fifth Earl of Rosebery, and the leading member of, of the House of Lords in England. Another member was Albert Lord Grey, another member of British Parliament. Another member was General George Chinese Gordon, the hero of Khartoum, who died in Khartoum. All these men had several things in common. One, they were all Masons. Two, they were all graduates of Oxford. Three, they were all very much interested in the occult. Many of them with, with theosophists. Even Cecil Rhodes, to the end of his life, his library was just overloaded with books on theosophy. They were imperialist. They were all tied to the Rothschilds in one way or the other, usually by their, for their business interest. Primrose, for instance, the Lord Rosebery, was Rothschild's son-in-law. And they were all, for the most part, pederast. They were interested in, uh, like Cecil Rhodes himself and uh, Lord, Lord Rosebery and uh, Balfour, all these people were notorious pederasts. Uh, they went to uh, these clubs in England where they could have relations with young boys. So it wasn't, they were, it wasn't really the nicest of groups. No. And, uh, but this group got together, and they, 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 their first thought uh, under the direction, oh, it was formed as a circle within a circle, his secret society. There was a circle, and the inner circle was a circle of generals, and that consisted of, of uh, Cecil Rhodes himself and the Rothschild and William Stead and, and Milner. And around that circle was uh, a circle of leaders, and uh, that consisted of Balfour and these other people. And then uh, uh, the outer circle was, the, uh, was a circle of helpers. And uh, by uh, 1889... 
that circle came to include uh, Cardinal, uh, Cardinal Manning, uh, who was a leading Catholic prelate in, in London at that time, and also uh, General William Booth. Do you know who he is? I'm guessing he may be a, a, a descendant of John Wilkes Booth or a relative of John Wilkes Booth, I'm guessing. <laughs> No, this guy was the founder of the Salvation Army. Oh, oh, oh interesting. And you see, what, they, what Rose and, 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 and Rothschild believed at that time, they, they believed that by bringing the Catholics in, they, they could institute something. This is going back in 1877 to 1889. They wanted to start an ecumenical movement so the Catholics would become more like Protestants, and that's why they were working with Booth. And with Manning, and the Protestants in turn would be more open to Catholicism, which would open the way for a new world religion. That was part of the plot from the beginning. And was it's, this all being sort of paid for? Because when I think of Cecil Rhodes, I think of the diamond cartel in South yeah, Africa. Yeah, yeah. You got to realize he brought up every diamond mine in he, the De Beers Mining Company, the De Beers mi- uh, Diamonds and Mining Company. It, it, with, with, he, he, he owned that completely. He controlled. 90% of the diamonds throughout the world in his lifetime. But he was funded. Uh, he, he bought all the diamond mines uh, thanks to Rothschild. Right. So he was really joined at the hip to Rothschild. He really couldn't separate the two. Now, why, one might ask, why do we need a roundtable to do this? This is the height of the British Empire. Uh, the sun did not set on the British Empire at this point. They had pretty much everything locked down. What more did they want? Did they, I guess it's kind of a rhetorical question. I'm guessing they wanted the United States back, the colony they lost under King George III. Yeah, well, you see, at that time, this is why, yeah, but this is why they thought it was that, that a new uh, a world order under British rule, a one world order, was possible. Just as you said, the British at that time, of course, they had colonies in South America, they had uh, Iceland, and they had uh, Canada, they had uh, uh, not only the British Isles, but they had Australia and New Zealand, they had, colon- they had India, they had uh, a, a, a many colonies in Africa. So, as a matter of fact, uh, 25% of the world land mass in 1889 was controlled by the British government. So they realized that, you know, this is not a stretch for us to take over the rest of the world. And by the end of World War I, they were really well on their way to doing that. Uh, And they realized that, number one, that the politics and everything were already aimed in that direction. But with Rothschild and with the bank behind them, they would also have the financing to make this possible. And the first thing that they decided to do, they were, their, their first uh, uh, thing they wanted to accomplish was the conquest of Africa. Rhodes wanted to create a railroad that would go from Cairo all the way down to Cape Town. And he wanted to take over, he wanted to drive all of the, like there were Germans in, 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 in Africa, throughout Germany colonies, there were Dutch colonies, there were French colonies. He wanted uh, Africa to become red. British red. And uh, the, that's the very first thing that this society wanted to do, because Africa contained so many natural resources that were important at that time. Iron ore, coal, timber. And, you know, I mean, you, we're just in, 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 in really the height of the Industrial Revolution. And they were intent on taking over Africa. And to do that, what they did, the, the, his society, they instigated the second Boer War 
that took place in 1899. The leaders of the uh, the Boer War, including uh, Lord Alfred Milne, were all members of, of the Rhodes Group. All members of the Rhodes Group. Every one of them was a member of the Rhodes Group. And uh, they they accomplished that. They, they took... They, Oh, Rhodes and Rothschild, but when they formed the Secret Society, realized the importance of the press. They took over the press. Uh, Jeffrey Dawson, who was the editor of uh, the uh, the London Times, became a member of the uh, of the Secret Society. It was called the Society of the Elect. I already mentioned uh, William Stead, who was from the Pall Mall Gazette. So I'm guessing. I got sorry for the interruption. I've got to break away here, uh, Paul. But I'm guessing a lot of like the foot soldiers, maybe those not in the inner circle, thought, "Hey, what's wrong with spreading, uh, you know, British civilization to the world? We'll be helping out these developing countries." Many of them, I'm guessing, probably thought in their hearts, in their minds, that this was this was good for the world. That they, they, they weren't. There was no necessarily any animus or, or nefarious intention. They wanted to bring civilization to the world, so I'm guessing perhaps uh, this may have been why they were able to recruit people like editors of newspapers and so forth. We'll uh, pick this up on the other side. The Killing Absolutely. of Uncle Sam. Let me answer that. That's the truth. All right. The Killing of Uncle Sam, The Demise of the United States of America, co-author Paul L. Williams is with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Dr. Paul L. Williams, The Killing of Uncle Sam. We should mention uh, the uh, the co-author, Rodney Howard Brown. Uh, not with us tonight, but we are delighted to have uh, Paul with us. And um, we were talking about uh, the uh, the Secret Society under Cecil Rhodes and uh, trying to, to um, take over Africa. Yeah, um, the let's Second fi- Boer War. Let, yes, uh, Rodney Howard Brown. Since you mentioned his name, is a South African. He was born and raised in South Africa, and you know when I got together with him, I mean we did a lot of research into Rhodes himself. Any listener, by the way, you should read the primary works by Cecil Rhodes. Don't read the secondary sources. Read him, and you'll find out what he says about his plans. And uh, once again, people like William Stead, who was a member, and Milner, all these people were prolific writers. And we have exactly, I mean, people can go back and they can verify exactly what they wanted to do and how they accomplished what they accomplished. And I mentioned Professor Carol Quigley, Georgetown yeah, University. Yeah, but Quigley's a secondary source, but an, an excellent one. But, but he did, the, he did the, write about this, and he, uh, and he had access to the, to the archives, right, the, the Rockefeller he archives. Did. He did. But the thing that's interesting is Rhodes himself wrote. I mean, all this, you know, his writings, you can still, you can, you, you can still obtain them. You can even obtain them on, on, the, on the Internet, and you can read them. And uh, you can read his, his speeches and his, his writings and his plans for the Secret Society. And you can, read, uh, you can read works by members of the Secret Society, like I told you before, like uh, Milner, who was very, very, very prolific. And, you know, I mean, these people documented what they did instead. They were all prolific in, in, in writing. So anybody can document uh, what we're talking about right now. But in Africa, they, they, insti- they, they instigated the Second Boer War. The Boers were the Dutch who were in, in South Africa. Uh, at the end of the war, they placed all the Dutch and everybody who opposed them in concentration camps, the first concentration camps in, uh, in, 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 in history. And uh, they killed hundreds of thousands of them. 
And after the, the Second World War, they set sights on the United States. And they, they wanted the United States to become reunited with Great Britain in this attempt to forge a new world order. And they, 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 it was easy for them to do that as well, because through, through Rothschild and people like uh, Lord Rosebery, they were, Rothschild and Rosebery were very, very close to people like Andrew Carnegie, very, very close to, to J.P. Morgan, very close to John D. Rockefeller. And they got in contact with these people, and they, they, they wanted to form a chapter of their secret society in the United States. And they did that through J.P. Morgan, who in uh, 1903, when the, this, this chapter was set up, was the richest man in America. He, had, he, he, bought, uh, 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 he, he bought Carnegie Steel uh, from Andrew Carnegie, and he, he formed United States Steel. He, owned all, he, he was a major controller of all the railroads throughout the country, of, of the iron ore mines, uh, a great landowner, uh, uh, banking businesses uh, uh, in France and in London, in uh, Germany, uh, and, and, of course, in New York. He was, uh, once again, the, 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 the richest man in America and the most wired. He formed at the Waldorf Astoria uh, Hotel the uh, Pilgrim Society, which was a, really a chapter of the Rhodes uh, Secret Society. And what year was that, Paul? That was 1903. 1903. All right. So pre-formulation uh, of the, uh, the Federal Reserve. Uh, but there, right. I mean, they had... I don't know if if Rhodes was behind earlier attempts, but even going back as far as uh, let's say, for example, uh, um, was it Hamilton? Uh, who oh yeah, you, you're going back to the central. Yeah, there there are two central banks in the United States. Right. One of the, one, one with Hamilton, and one uh, that was instituted after the War of eighteen twelve. So Rothschild had a history here, and he wanted to to create a uh, another central bank, and that that was really. Part of the reason, look at this. The, the plot. I'm glad you're telling me this because you're, you're jarring my memory. That what they realized they had to do do several things in order to unite the United States with Great Britain again and to create a new world order. One is they had to take control of the media. They could do that through in the United States through Morgan, who ended up controlling the Hearst newspaper in, in, uh, empire. The 25 uh, of America's leading newspapers, including New York Times, Washington Post, were all, all owned by Morgan. And so he bought uh, them from from William Randolph Hearst, of course, who is the yeah, well, inspiration for William Citizen Randolph. Kane. Yeah. yeah. He, the, the and, guy that uh, said, you you get me the pictures and I'll supply the war. <laughs> there you go. So he, he can, you know, they could control the media through... Uh, through Morgan. And once again, the, the interest, this is another thing, the interest between... Carnegie and and Rockefeller and Morgan were so intricate and so interconnected that John Moody, who was America's foremost financial analyst in, at the turn of the century, uh, said it's impossible to separate what belongs to Morgan from what belongs to Carnegie and from what belongs to Rockefeller. They're all intermeshed. So it was really from the, from the start... These three families formed a cartel. What about the Forbes family? Because they talk about the Boston Braymans, those that group uh, no, of... No, no, not, not no, like the, no, no. No? Look, look, look at that. They, they're, they're minor league players compared to these three families. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, minor, minor, minor. You've got to realize that uh, 
you know, Car- uh, Carnegie made his fortune through, of course, through steel, and I, you know, and then Morgan took over that steel industry, and uh, and uh, Rockefeller was was becoming one of the wealthiest men. He was third wealthiest man in in, in America when the Pilgrim Society was formed, but. At, by the end of World War One, he was the Rockefellers were the, were even richer than the Rothschilds. Amazing, because of oil. Ah, yes, indeed. St- uh, you know, Standard Oil, and you got you know, I mean, that's that's a, that, that's all part of the story. You know, we have uh, a, a the, the current president who likes to use the ter- you know the term deep state, and 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 made it vogue again. I mean, we we've been using that term for many years, twenty years on this on the radio program, and you, I'm sure, have been writing about it for that long. And now, of course, it's. It's just this. Uh, it's just thrown around. But at the time, in the early 1900s, when you had uh, like Teddy Roosevelt, uh, was he was he uh, on side with them, but playing like the the, the like Teddy he was... Roosevelt screamed from the rafters that there's a uh, there's a secret society afoot seeking to control the government. Ah, he warned so... the American people about it. All right, so he was kind of the disruptor, and he warned them. He said. This is happening. Uh, now, going back to the Pilgrim Society, this is important for where you, I know where you, you want to be headed. Uh, the members of the Secret Society came to include Elihu Root, who was the Secretary of State at that time, uh, uh, people like uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt, but more importantly, uh, Henry Davison, Frank Vanderlip, Charles D. Norton, Nelson Aldrich, Paul Warburg. Think of these names, right? Right. Vanderlip, Davison, Norton, Aldrich, Warburg. These people formed the Pilgrim Society, were the original pilgrims. These very same people, the exact same people, ended up where? They, they ended At, up on Jekyll Island. Uh, Jekyll Island, creating the Federal Reserve. That's it. Very same people, and all under the all under the the governance of J.P. Morgan, and the the plan in the beginning was to take control of the U.S. economy, and by creating the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve took control of America's money, the manufacturing of money. They could create prosperity produced by producing a lot of cash. They could create a, a depression by withdrawing the cash. They could have some businesses boom by loaning them, by, by providing money to the banks that are seeking money, or they could all cause other businesses to fail. They controlled everything. And, and, and they, when they met at Jekyll Island and when the Fed became into effect in 1913, you've got to realize the Federal, the federal Reserve System that governs the, 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 the economy of the United States, number one, is not federal. It's privately owned. And the owners, the shareholders from the beginning were the Morgans, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the Schiffs, the Warburgs. Many of them, a great deal of them, were not Americans. And they owned the Fed. They owned the Fed. Right. That's right. what's important to realize. Talk to me not about the, how they that... It, and they still do own it. Talk to me about, because this is kind of a contentious issue, how this was passed... Some say that it was rammed through during a Christmas recess yeah, when there was no one sitting in the house, very few people, nobody read it. So talk to me about how it, how, it's, how it was passed, the Federal Reserve Act. Well, it, it, it passed through, because, through a variety of ways. One is that Aldrich, 
uh, Nelson Aldrich, who was a, a leading senator, was at Jekyll Island and was a member of the Pilgrim Society. And uh, he provided payoffs to a lot of the other senators and congressmen to vote in favor of it. That's one thing that people aren't, even when you read things, when you read wonderful books about Jekyll Island, you, they, 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 including the, the work by Griffith, they, they failed to take into account the payoffs. Right. These people were received money to support the Federal Reserve, and that's why they all agreed that the that they to to pass that uh, that, that, that act uh, right before the Christmas break in 1913, and it did pass. And as I said, the Federal Reserve is privately owned, still is. It's not federal. It's not a reserve. They have no money in in reserve. That's complete fallacy there is no reserve right so they create they they create money literally out of thin air and exactly in, in immediately i mean upon lending it to the banks who then loan it out yeah. uh i mean it's it's now, how and does this they happen? also provide the money to the government right and the united states government has, has to pay these sons of bitches money well, Interest. Here, well here's the thing um politicians many of them they love it because all of their pet little projects, they no longer have to go to the voters and say, we have to raise your taxes, because the no. money is just created out of thin air. Yeah. Yep. And, not even, and now it's not even created. All it is is clicked on a, on a mouse. It's not even created. Right. Right. Um, you know, but how in much... any case, they create the Federal Reserve. Right. And by that, that, by that time, at the beginning of the, the, the uh, uh, that was the first stab in the heart of Uncle Sam. Because they, Uncle, you know, we the United States lost control of its economy. It was now in private hands. Were there no constitutional challenges? Because according to the, the Constitution, the, the the federal government is responsible for minting the money. Exactly. Where were the exactly. challenges? Where were the court challenges? There, there, there still hasn't been. And not only that, but the Fed is, uh, you know, the, the Fed has never really been audited. No, that's true. So, that's true. How would you Absolutely. do that? I mean, I know this I is mean, a bit the, of a... The entire operation, of course, is they say, oh, the, the, the chairman of the Fed is appointed by the president. But, you see, the chairman of the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C., doesn't control the Fed. The chairman of the Federal Reserve in New York controls the Fed. Ah, and who appoints and him? There are 13 Federal Reserve banks. They're all beholding, not to Janet Yellen or, or the head of the Fed in Washington, D.C., they're beholding to the chairman of the Federal Reserve in New York. It was I, like that from the get-go. I did not know that. Listen, we have to take another time out. This is fascinating, Paul. Uh, appreciate your, your staying with us for the full two hours. The Killing of Uncle Sam, the Demise of the United States of America. We'll be back with Dr. Paul Williams right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We are back with uh, Paul Williams, co-author of The Killing of Uncle Sam. Right now we're talking about uh, the Federal Reserve. And you were telling me, this is something I didn't know, that the real power rests not with the federal chair, but oh. with the chair of the New York uh, Federal Reserve. How did that, why? And how did, who chooses it, it, the... Because, f- because look at... N- n- 
it, it was all it was all a, uh, a, a, a a dog and pony show from the beginning. That the, the, the people believed, oh, and they still believe that, oh, the chairman of the Fed is appointed by the president. We have control. No, no, no. Yeah, that's appointed. That's but th- that bank is beholding to the Federal Reserve in New York by the ver- by the very structure of the Federal Reserve System. Benjamin Strong, the first leader of the Federal Reserve in New York, controlled everything. Mm. Now, I, I think I mentioned this when you were on uh, my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, um, that uh, up here in Canada, I believe we are the only uh, country in the G7 that has truly a central bank that is owned by the Canadian people. The Bank of Canada uh, is owned by the people. It was, it was nationalized in the 1930s by Prime Minister uh, William Lyon Mackenzie King. And at that time, the Bank of Canada Act allowed provincial, municipal, and federal governments to borrow from the central bank uh, at not 0% interest, but very low interest. But they, they couldn't borrow, you know, limitless amounts of money. It was, it was proportional to the, the as a percentage of their total budget. Um, and this is how early infrastructure projects like the, the St. Lawrence Seaway was built. The Trans-Canada Highway. This is how we built, or this is how we paid for our war effort during the Second World War. And then, lo and behold, during the 1970s, Prime Minister Trudeau stopped borrowing from the Bank of Canada, and now, of course, we all borrow from the uh, the, the, the the Central Bank of Central Bank, the uh, the, the Bank of International Settlements. So we borrow, we borrow from international lenders. But this, uh, they are totally ignoring the Bank of Canada Act in this country. Whoa, that's where we're headed because. The Bank of International Settlements, after the Federal Reserve was created, what the uh, the money cartel, the, once again, the, the control of the Fed, the, the, the Federal Reserve was controlled by the Pilgrim, the, the same people, the Rockefellers, the uh, Morgans, okay? Mm-hmm. Those two families really, not even Carnegie then, because he was phasing out, and he only had one uh, offspring, a, a girl, and uh, she just, she became insignificant. But these two families, by and large, controlled the uh, Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve, during the 1920s, when they had control of the economy, they, uh, they, they, and, and since Morgan and Rockefeller controlled the press, they, they started encouraging the American people and people throughout the world to invest in the United States stock market. And they said that the press, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the uh, New York Herald Tribune that was in existence at that time, uh, they, 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 they all kept, and every day, day after day after day, Richard, promoting this idea that, look, at if you invest $100, just $100, you can buy $1,000 worth of U.S. stock. Right. Ten to right. one. Right. That's all you need to do. Highly you leveraged. You give us $100 and you got $1,000 worth of stock. Yes. You can be, get rich in the stock market, and they had something that was attached to this. This, this was people were buying things on Western Union at that time, and you know, the, the, and over the phone. I mean, they, they weren't long contracts; they were they were wired. They were, you know, everything was done in a very slow manner by phone and by Western Union, and they, attached to this agreement that you could get a thousand dollars for a hundred, and buy you buy stock, we well, can buy more and more and more stock for. You know, ten thousand dollars. You could buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of stock. Well, the stipulation that the bankers had at that time, the Federal Reserve had at that time, was this was all subjected to a twenty-four hour call. And in nineteen twenty-nine, what happened? 
was the Federal Reserve called all these notes. So if you you had you had this stock, you you had you had a hundred thousand dollars worth of stock that you that you had purchased for ten thousand dollars overnight in twenty four hours, you owed a hundred thousand dollars. Right. How did the Fed? Why why did the Fed have that ability to call? Because what they did, look at everything is contingent on the money supply. They instantly cut back the money supply. Cut back the money supply. The twenty four hour call came into effect. The stocks went right through the through the. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Dr. Paul L. Williams, journalist, the author of 15 books, including Among the Ruins, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Catholic Church, Crescent Moon Rising, The Islamic Transformation of America, The Unholy Alliance Between the Vatican, the CIA, and the Mafia, and uh, the latest, The Killing of Uncle Sam, The Demise of the United States of America, as I say, which is uh, co-authored by Rodney Howard Brown. And uh, we've been talking about the uh, the Federal Reserve and the Depression. Of course, this was uh, the, the the Fed... The idea of the Fed was sold to the American public and the, and the representatives as this is going to stabilize the economy. You're not going to have wild swings. You're not going to have, you know, crashes and, and uh, high inflation and so forth. It'll even everything out. But, but, I mean, if you look at it from 1913 until now, I mean, how many deep recessions have we had prior, uh, 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 compared to, say, pre-Fed? I mean, I know we had, we had a, a, I think it was a serious depression in the, was it the 1880s? Uh, but yeah, and there was there was a uh, there was a great deal of turmoil in 1907, uh, but nothing like. But right now, I mean, right now in America, in the United States of America, excuse me, what you what you have is the American people. They could go into a recession tomorrow, tomorrow. Right. right. And it's not not because of of industry. It's not because of commerce. It just uh, could be at the will of the governors right. of the Federal Reserve. Right. It has nothing to do with the fundamentals talk. of the economy. It's, as you say, it's, it's this, this force that is distorting, constantly distorting the markets uh, to the yeah. point where we really have no markets anymore. So um, you mentioned aud- auditing the Fed. Oh, well, let me be, Richard, if I, if I yeah. may, since you brought up the Bank of International Settlement. Yes. Could I touch on that Please for one do. second? Please do. Okay. Uh, what happened was, during, after creating the Depression in the United States, what happened was FDR, who was completely controlled by, these, by the cartel, put out an, an executive order that the gold of every United States citizen was to be confiscated. Now, my grandfather had, at that time, gold coins. He, he owned a... a, a, a they, they, they called it a five and ten store during the 1930s. Right. The government came in and took all of his gold coins. You weren't allowed to have gold coins. You weren't allowed to have gold. Your gold was taken from you, confiscated. If you did not, they came in your house, the police, and took it. People aren't aware of this now. And if you didn't give it up, you went to jail. Did they pay market value? They paid market value, but market value then was it was set, I think, to, for uh, something like $12 an ounce. Right, right. Okay, now all the gold that was taken from the American people, all of the gold, and uh, went, was collected and went to the Federal Reserve, and they had a huge vault at 
the Federal Reserve of New York, like, I, like as I said, is, which is a central Federal Reserve bank. They have a huge vault underneath there, and all the gold was, was uh, shipped there. And there was so much gold that they had to create Fort Knox. And uh, all this gold in the 1930s was transported to the Bank of International Settlements to create the Bank of International Settlements. That was all with the gold that was confiscated. So there is no gold in Fort Knox. Americans, United States citizens were robbed, uh, fleeced, uh, I I mean, uh, uh, tarred and feathered. Uh And uh, how do you know? How do we know for certain that there is no gold in 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 Fort Knox? That it was shipped to where is is that in Bern, Switzerland? The Bank of International Settlements. Yeah, yeah, that's in Bern. Oh, that look at that. that, that, The the wonderful thing about that is all of these things are are. I mean, that's all people need to do is to really read. And right now, there's no excuse for it. They don't even need to buy books. I mean, you can go on your computer and you get the primary sources of this. The confiscated gold, where did it go? Where did it go? Just go to your computer, Google it, and you'll find, you'll find the, you go to the, you get primary sources. So during the Cold War, a lot of... Uh, go, the Bank of International Settlements, let's, let's right. talk about that for one okay. second. Okay, all right. That's the central bank of central banks. It was created by the Rockefellers and uh, the Rothschilds and uh, uh, the Morgans, and... That, that that that's a central bank. That means that, that, that the central banks of, in in Japan, in in Germany at that time, in France, and uh, in in South Africa, in uh, throughout the world, all the central central banks get their funding are, are from the the Bank of International Settlements. That too is private, and the shares are primarily owned by the Federal Reserve, members of the Federal Reserve. Uh, in the United States. Right, right. So, uh, let me just go back to Fort Knox for a moment. because uh, So, the idea that there is uh, no gold in, in Fort right. Knox, I think this sort of, we, we got a glimpse of this when, during the the uh, Cold War, I think it was, or maybe even during the Second World War, a lot of countries shipped their gold for safekeeping over to the United States because they were worried about uh, the Nazis yeah. and then later the Soviets taking their gold. So when Germany recently came a-calling for their gold, they were told it was going to take years, and, and uh, they weren't even allowed to go down into the, uh, the basement to sort of take a ca- an accounting of their gold. Right. So, I mean, and then we... It, saw, wasn't, it wasn't there. It wasn't it there. It wasn't there. A, a lot of the gold in the 1930s, you got to realize, you had a great upheavals in China. And all that gold from China, from the you know from the various dynasties, yeah, the you know yeah the, the start of the uh, of Mao and that time the Great March, that the, the, all that gold from China w- was was flown in by Chiang Kai Shek into uh, into the Federal Reserve in New York, and from that all that gold went out to the Bank of International Settlements. Ah, now the China doesn't have a central bank; they own their central, they own their bank, don't yeah. they? Okay, yep, they do now. And what right. about Russia? Russia has a central bank, always has. They have their own? No. No, they don't? No. Oh, interesting. Interesting. All right. And I'm guessing at one time Iraq maybe had their own, and then after Saddam fell, they no longer do? They, they, right. And exactly. same with Gaddafi, Libya? We're oh, yeah, uh, exactly. exactly. He we're seeing, own, are we seeing, bank, yeah. are we seeing a pattern here, folks? <laughs> there you go, Canada. You, better, you guys better watch out. 
Well, no, I mean they they've already accomplished that, but they just they just oh uh, they did they to ignore the bank, to the BIS yeah, yeah they just ignore the the Bank of Canada Act and no one talks about it um, anyway. So um, I wanted to you ask can't you, let, li- listen, you guys up in Canada, you cannot let these bastards have your money. You can't because first of all, they're not concerned about Canada, not one bit. They are they they want to seize all the natural resources throughout the world. That's the end game. Look at money there's a big difference between real what money and uh and 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 and, and capital capital is real wealth and uh, money is just paper and these people want real wealth they want the natural resources wealth comes from natural resources from all the natural resources in the world even like water uh gold naturally any any natural resource right is a source of wealth. Land. I like to say anything you can drop on your foot, not yeah, just that's right. not just paper, not just paper. That's that, that's right. But the, this money, the, your money, the money in the United States, the money for the most part throughout throughout the world is is just fiat money. It's made out of nothing. What percentage of the I'm looking at the, like the U.S. debt? If you look at un, un, unfunded liabilities, Social Security and Medicaid and all of these things. What, it's around two hundred trillion dollars or something. It's just uh-huh. astronomical. Uh, and that could never but be you paid see that, back. That, that's part of the end game. You right, see, the right. end game is for uh, Canada and the United States and uh, all, all of the free world to become socialist countries, because under socialism, the, the, Rhodes, all these people, Rhodes, Rothschild, Morgan, Carnegie, these, they were all they were all socialist. Well, socialism for the rest of us and capitalism for them. Uh, no socialism for all of us, and then and, and so they were all dependent. We're all dependent on the government, and they control the government. Right. I guess more of a they're they're more like feudalists. Uh, it's it's it's. I I I think the right word is synarchy. S y n a r c h y. Synarchy. You got a, a small group. It's going all the way back to now Rothschild and and Rockefeller primarily. Who control everything? If you don't, oh, if you don't control your currency, though, it's like having, it's like not controlling your borders. If you don't control your own currency, you really can't have a country. If you can't no. control your own monetary uh, policy, what's the well, point? They knew that in the yeah. beginning. Look at that. Uh, Rothschild said that uh, Meyer Rothschild said in the beginning. You know, he said, well, I, you know, if I control the money, I control everything. I control everything. I care not who makes the laws, right? Yeah, there you go. You can, good, Richard. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and uh, look, that was only part of it. For, so going back to the Fed, yeah, they, they, they formed the Federal Reserve, this small cartel of people. And after that, what they did was they, they, they brought in immediately with the Fed the graduated income tax. This is all part of the demise of, of Uncle Sam. We never had income tax in the United States, uh, you know, prior to 1914. Right, and it was supposed to be temporary to pay for the war effort. Right, right, and it was and it was also supposed to be graduated, so that the wealthy paid the lion's share, the poor people paid almost nothing. Well, what really happened was, in within that uh, income tax, uh, within the federal income tax law that was passed in 1913, uh, what happened was there was there was there were ways to create tax shelters. And these tax shelters became known as foundations. So the Morgans and the Rothschilds and the Carnegies all set up these huge foundations. And the foundations 
That was another part of the demise of, of Uncle Sam, because the foundations, in turn, started to fund all the school systems throughout uh, the United yes. States. The colleges and the universities, to this day, they kept funding them and funding them so that the, the colleges, the universities, the secondary schools all became dependent upon the, the foundations for their income. For instance, right now in the United States, even a, a school like Harvard or Princeton, do you know that 20% of their income, total income, comes from foundations? Makes sense, right? And a lot of it comes yeah. from the, so, the so alumni. What would happen if the foundations stopped giving them money? Aha. Uh-huh. That's you, right. Yeah, many of them, by the smaller colleges throughout the United States, would close. He who pays so, the piper calls the tune, so they tell them what to teach. They, they tell them what to teach. And they could, what happened was, this was really, really, really nefarious, because they took control of the educational system. They, 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 they dictated exactly what should be taught. Uh, they, 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 they said about overlooking the hiring of the administration of, administrations of colleges and universities so that everything would be governed and according to their dictates. And that's what we're seeing right now. Well, that's I think we've all... It, sorry, Paul. We, that's we, why we, the, the, the college students, we, you know, that by and large, if you talk to them, and I talk to them all the time, and I, ta- I, I taught them, they're, they're, as, they're as thick as mud. Well, they, they, they don't read. There's that famous... They, there's that famous, they can't read or write. They, you know, duh. There's that famous you know, that, test that was published uh, um, online a number of years ago. It was a grade 8. I think it was from uh, someplace in Missouri, and it was a, it was a, it was a science test or a general knowledge test that was administered to grade eight students, and uh, I tell you, when you look at those questions, it would, it's 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 something a probably a university graduate would struggle with today. So this del- there is a deliberate dumbing down that's yeah, been going you know, on. You know and part of it, you see, that was from the beginning, and they they controlled. They said they started to standardize everything, standardize education throughout the United States, standardized tests, standardized this, standardized standardized textbooks, and to. Uh, to such an extent that uh, that uh, right now, uh, uh, that the, the, and not only to standardize, but the students that, that everything had to be homogenous. If you had students who were very bright, and you you were you were segregating them from the students who were very dumb, that became no no. That became a no no in the United right. States. All right, we got to take you, a time out, Paul. We'll come back. Uh, The killing of Uncle Sam, the demise of the United States of America. Stay put. Hour two to come right here on The Conspiracy Show.